From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, RV, camper, your parents' basement, your loft, a taxi cab, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Welcome to all of you listening in on one of our affiliates, uh, the podcast, of course, at TalkZone.com. Those of you who take the show with you on your mobile device, the Conspiracy Show app, the fabulous free download. And also, uh, those of you who uh, watch the YouTube channel, uh, the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Just a reminder, no live YouTube stream this week, no remote viewing experiment. We'll uh, continue both of those next week. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is here for the full hour as we head on into the Halloween season. What better time than to delve into one of my favorite subjects? Let me crib here from the introduction of Rosemary's new book, Werewolves and Dogmen. Werewolves have instilled fear and dread in human beings since ancient times. The wolf is one of the fiercest, most dangerous, and most cunning of animals. Combine it with the intelligence of a human, and the resulting creature becomes even more formidable. Add supernatural characteristics, and it becomes one of the supreme mystery beings. Rosemary Ellen Guiley joins us once a month. She is the author of, well, she's closing in now on 70 books. Her website is Visionary Living. Dot com and always a great pleasure to welcome her back to the program. Rosemary, how are you? Hi, Richard. Well, it's Halloween season, as you just mentioned. It's my favorite time of the year because it's all about ghosts, poltergeists, mysterious creatures like werewolves, vampires, contact with the dead, all the subjects that I really love. Well, tell us about how uh, this this book came together. You are the editor and you sort of compiled these stories. Where do these stories come from? They come from Fate Magazine, from the Vaults of Fate Magazine, and I also added a few articles of my own that I had uh, written on the topic of werewolves. I have been associated with Fate since uh, the early 90s and uh, holding various capacities. I'm now executive editor. And um, being very familiar with Fate, which has published uh, well over 700 issues since 1948. Wow on all kinds of uh, mysterious topics, or topics on the mysterious, I should say. And uh, I just thought it would be great to bring out a series of books where these articles from Fate's history uh, can be enjoyed again by new audiences. They're timeless articles. They're written by the best writers and journalists in the field, uh, I have articles going uh, back several decades and even uh, right up to the to the very present to the latest issue. And uh, Werewolves and Dogmen um, covers uh, quite a bit of territory, and I am planning others in the series. They're all going to have a theme uh, that's uh, popular now, and uh, I've gotten very uh, positive response uh, from folks who are enjoying these articles um, that have been really hidden in the vaults, and uh, now they're freshly published again. You know, I, I had to laugh when I was reading Werewolves and Dogmen right off the top because I married into a Greek family, and I remember last Halloween, we were, you know, sitting around the table, and the kids were discussing, you know, what are you going to be, and Zachary wanted to be a hobbit, 
And I said, you know, nobody wants to be the, you know, the Frankenstein's monster anymore. No one wants to be a werewolf. And then it was either my wife, the lovely Aphrodite, mighty Aphrodite, or my mother-in-law offered up. Did you know that lycanthrope is a Greek word? And I had to say, of course it is. Every, <laughs> every single word seems to have a, a Greek origin. But lycanthrope comes from ancient Greek, doesn't it? Well, it does. And it dates to a very ancient legend involving uh, the Greek god Zeus or the, uh, the Roman named Jupiter. It, the story is told by Roman writers uh, who borrowed from the Greeks. Ovid Metamorphoses uh, contains the story. And it's, uh, we get that term from king, a legendary king like Han. Uh, who uh, defied um, to use the Roman names? Uh, you know, Jupiter, the king, the king of the gods. He refused to bow down to Jupiter. He didn't believe that he was a god when Jupiter presented himself to the people in his village, and he thought he would devise a very clever test. And he took a slave and boiled him up, cooked him up, and. Uh, served it uh, because uh, surely uh, a god would not eat uh, eat human flesh, and uh, Jupiter uh, instantly knew the ruse, and he was absolutely enraged. And as punishment, he turned the king into a wolf, and so that's where we get the term lycanthropy, lycanthrope. Uh, even the shortened version that's so popular today, lichen. Mm. A fascinating uh, story of the, of the you know the lineage of, of the word. Um, but you know, as, as someone, I, I, I'm fascinated by stories in the Bible about the Nephilim and uh, you know how the uh, the uh, the offspring of, of these uh, the fallen angels who commingled with the daughters of men and produced uh, a race of giants. And they, they, they talk about, uh, in, in Genesis, in the book of Enoch, these giants being the men of renown, um, perhaps even the, you know, the gods of the Greek pantheon. And with that in mind, and I'm thinking about all of the, the, the mythological creatures, uh, you know, half eagle, half lion, and, and uh, we think that this is all simple legend. But I'm thinking, you know, if there was kind of a demonic component to that, or even, as some suspect, maybe um, they were they were aliens. Uh, we have all of these chimeras. Maybe there is something, this is my roundabout way of getting to this point, that there may be something to the legend of the werewolf that it might have been some sort of a chimera. What do you think? It's certainly possible. The werewolf is a shapeshifter. Uh, a, a human being who can um, shapeshift uh, to animal form or even be composed of animal and human forms. And we have so many of our ancient gods who embody both animal and uh, human characteristics, as you pointed out. And the Egyptians, for example, look at all the, uh, the Egyptian gods with uh, humanoid bodies and some sort of bird or animal uh, head to them. Uh, and uh, there were legends of... Uh, races of beings uh, that were called dogmen in ancient times, too. The Greeks wrote about them. Uh, they were said to reside in India. Uh, they were human bodies with, with dog heads. And, um, of course, there's a blurriness between a wolf's head and a dog head in some of these descriptions. Uh, even Christ early Christian literature talked about saints preaching to uh, dog-headed uh, human beings. And some um, people say, well, that was just a symbol for the heathens. You know, they were just considered to be animalistic, and, and so they were portrayed that way. But I've always believed that there's uh, a genuine component to this, that uh, we do have shape-shifty kinds of beings. 
we do have uh, this blurring between uh, human beings and, and other life forms um, as part of our history for centuries, for millennia. And I, I don't think it's just storytelling. Well, uh, particularly for those who subscribe to the ancient alien uh, theory of the, you know, the, the, uh, the birth of civilizations and so forth, and, and uh, the idea that aliens had the technology to mess around with genetics and do all sorts of experimentation, and here we are now, thousands of years later, we're, we're doing the same thing, you know, putting the, the gene of a, a pig into a human and so forth, so who knows? Uh, there may be some truth to it. There, there always, there's always, as you say, a kernel of truth behind every fable and, and legend. Um, here's something that I didn't know. Uh, that I learned from werewolves and dogmen, and that is that there are two types of werewolves. There is a voluntary, or sorry, an involuntary werewolf, and that is a, an, an individual uh, that you just mentioned, this um, Roman king who was cursed. That's the involuntary werewolf. But then there is a voluntary werewolf. What is a voluntary werewolf? Well, these are um, human beings who say that they can shapeshift at will. And uh, there were, are many cases from earlier centuries that get blended in with um, the witchcraft craze and the Inquisition of uh, people who say that they were given magical ointments or belts or uh, wolf skins or animal skins by a mysterious magical man or the devil that would enable them to transform at will into, into a wolf. And they would go on these uh, rampages. Uh, and um, the involuntary uh, werewolf is uh, someone who's under a curse. And we have uh, many stories, especially in medieval times, they're called romances, of people who commit some kind of sin. And it was often a betrayal, like a wife betraying a husband or um, somebody betraying a king. And that individual would be uh, punished by being uh, transformed into a wolf, usually for a set period of time or until someone recognized who the uh, wolf truly was and uh, redeemed him through kindness and uh, as a path of salvation. Uh, and uh, then on top of it, Richard, we have medical uh, like uh, lycanthropy, uh, and that term is is often applied to individuals who have a pathology going, uh, where they say they uh, they transform into um, uh, wolves, uh, sometimes under the full moon, uh, sometimes at will, and they have a bloodlust and uh, exhibit a lot of very bizarre behavior. So this is actually uh, considered a, a psychological disorder or a pathology? It is. In fact, the term lyc- uh, lycanthropy now is usually applied to the medical uh, pathology, uh, and uh, werewolf is applied to other kinds of human shape-shifting, um, and uh, there are other terms as well uh, for that depending upon, upon culture. But the medical cases, and there haven't been very many documented um, in uh, in history, but um, these individuals uh, have mental imbalances. Uh, as I mentioned, they crave blood. They might um, kill animals and drink the blood. They might even commit uh, human murders. Um, there were some cases of, um, you know, people... Um, um, running around on all fours and howling at the moon, 
um, literally acting like an animal, and it is considered um, a, a pathology. Well, it raises the question just before we head into the break, and that is, which came first? Was it the the legend of the werewolf and its portrayal in media that has perhaps influenced uh, these people that, that displays this, this medical uh, pathology of werewolfish type behavior, or did this type of behavior give rise to the legend? I believe that it's probably a bit of both. It's um, probably impossible to separate out as black and white territory. Certainly we've had uh, the stories of uh, shape-shifting into wolf form for a variety of reasons going back into ancient times, and they keep cropping up throughout history. Uh, And uh, they've been picked up by our modern media, which gives us certain stereotypes. However, the individuals who have the pathology, uh, I think they've got something else going on there that's just more than an influence of um, having watched The Wolfman, for example. All right, Rosemary, you stay put. We'll come back and continue to delve into werewolves and dogmen with paranormal investigator, researcher, and author Rosemary Ellen Guiley right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Again, the website is visionaryliving.com and check out her online uh, store. And um, what is it now, Rosemary? It must be closing in on 70 books that you have uh, authored or edited and compiled. I'm getting close. Uh, I'm at 68. Getting close. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Very, that, I can't tell you how impressive that is to me. That's just um, an amazing accomplishment, 68 books. So werewolves and dogmen, we were talking about the different types of werewolves, the voluntary, the involuntary. There's even a, a medical uh, lycanthropy. Uh, but I want to get back to the, the voluntary werewolf, if I can, for a moment. Is, is that related to the, the American um, uh, Indian legend of, of uh, skinwalkers? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, Skinwalker, uh, we find in um, Navajo lore and also uh, in other um, Indian lore in the, in the American Southwest, and they are considered to be uh, bad witches or sorcerers. They work on the dark side, and they, they're called skinwalkers because they walk in the skins of animals at night when they're out doing their, uh, their evil deeds. And uh, they will shapeshift. Uh, they are said to have the power to shapeshift at will into wolves or coyotes, uh, even into birds and, and other animals, and the form depending upon what it is they're, they're trying to do. Uh, and uh, uh, they are quite prominent in Native American lore. And, in fact, uh, I came across uh, a recent case, which I published on my blog, uh, from um, a security guard who was uh, working at a hotel on a, a reservation in, in New Mexico, and he was part Apache, uh, and he was sitting in his car uh, one night, uh, and this gigantic, um, what appeared to be a wolf with supernatural ability uh, attacked him. It, it uh, started out um, 
bouncing his car from underneath, and uh, then it appeared in front of his car, and uh, he actually tried tried to chase it down, and uh, it escaped from him at uh, tremendous speed, and he said it was excessively large, and it had the ability to uh, to rock his car uh, with incredible violence. And he reported it, uh, mentioned it to uh, some of the um, uh, people in the Pueblo uh, the next day, and they said, oh, yeah, that was a skinwalker. Um, they were, in fact, very uh, nonchalant about it. Apparently there were uh, cases like that all the time. Uh, and uh, that it was uh, a human being who had taken uh, this werewolf form, or this wolf form, rather, and was evidently just messing around with this fellow. Well, last year I was uh, I was flown down to uh, Albuquerque uh, to do a, an episode of National Park Mysteries, and my driver on out to the location, I, I, uh, I always make a point when I'm ever in a strange town, that I, or one that I've never been to before, I said, you know, is there any place in Albuquerque I should avoid? And he sort of pointed in often one general, general direction, and he said, don't go far too far in that direction alone. And I asked why, and he started to talk about um, uh, witches and skinwalkers and, and, and uh, an alarming number of people that have just disappeared on this one particular stretch of road, and, and uh, he went on to explain what likely happens to them. Uh, and again, it involves uh, witchcraft and, and, and skinwalkers. But there's something interesting in, in your description of the the, invol- or the voluntary uh, werewolf and how one can become uh, a werewolf, and one of them involves drinking rainwater out of a wolf's uh, footprints. Uh, that, that's an old folklore, yeah. and um, I, I don't know if it actually works, but uh, yes, if if you find rainwater collected in a wolf print and drink it, uh, then it will give you the ability to uh, to turn into a wolf. Um, many of the individuals throughout history who say that they um, accomplished this at will, um, involved the salve or the ointment, again, from supposedly the devil or magical um, kind of person. And uh, there were probably hallucinogenic uh, elements in these ointments that may have given someone the, uh, uh, the hallucination of being able to shapeshift uh, into a, a wolf form or any other kind of animal form. Uh, witches were said to use these ointments as well. Sometimes it was donning a belt. Uh, and um, sometimes uh, there are cases of people who, who said that they could just go out on the night of the full moon. And by the way, it doesn't always have to be the full moon. Yeah, that's kind of a Hollywood uh, creation, isn't it? It is, it is, because there are many cases of, of voluntary werewolfism and even involuntary where um, full moons are not involved. But there are some cases where people say, well, I go out uh, into the full moon and, and take off my clothing and I can will myself uh, into the form of a wolf. Now, uh, when, when these transformations take place, they are almost always associated with these bloody rampages. Um, with the exception of the medieval romances where the people who are being punished um, to to live as wolves just sort of exist as as a regular wolf uh, would and uh, you know wait out their curse time but um, these other cases from especially the witchcraft inquisition era um, involve individuals who uh, 
would um, uh, they they said they would shape shift into wolf form, and these these unusual wolves would be seen rampaging through the countryside, killing livestock. Um, there was a fondness for human flesh as well, usually female, usually girls, and they would have these uh, leave mutilated, horribly mutilated corpses behind. Uh, faces ripped off and torsos ripped up. Uh, there would be cannibalism involved, and uh, sometimes they would be caught and brought to trial, and they would readily confess that, yes, they, they had this ability. Now, whether or not they had some, some of that pathology going, uh, it's impossible to, to determine from the court records. Uh, there, were, uh, there was a case of a teenage boy in uh, France who, after he confessed to being a werewolf and, and he was jailed, he would run around on all fours and act like an animal uh, for, uh, you know, the rest of his captivity, and he wanted raw meat to eat. Uh, and uh, some of them were tortured, uh, there was a case uh, of a man named Peter Stubb uh, in uh, Germany who uh, rampaged through the countryside, killing livestock and people, and was captured. He was tortured. He was put on a wheel, uh, with it, and his limbs were cut off. He was beheaded, and then he was burned at the stake. Um, horrible things happened, uh, not only to the victims, but, but to the individuals who said they were werewolves. What about the um, the uh, depiction in, in uh, Hollywood movies of the um, the uh, the silver bullet being the the method the best method to kill a werewolf? Where does that come from? Well, it's got a very dodgy history, and there there's nothing in ancient lore that connects uh, silver to uh, to werewolves as an antidote. Uh, silver does have a long history of. Uh, being a, a metal of protection against uh, negativity and evil forces. And um, there are some folklore traditions uh, that you have to use silver bullets to dispatch a werewolf. Probably the origin of this, which then became lodged in Hollywood as, as a fact, goes back to the 18th century to a very famous case in France called the Beast of Gévaudan, which terrorized uh, uh, part of the Loire Valley for several years. A, a large, uh, it was described as uh, superhuman in size and, and strength, um, killing uh, 60 people by the time the rampage stopped. And supposedly the peasant who finally killed it, the king's men could not, uh, the peasant who finally killed it said he used a silver bullet. And uh, that really um, was was one of the linchpins then of the silver bullet lore that became a staple of uh, werewolf entertainment. I was gonna. My guess was maybe the Hunt brothers. For those old enough to remember the Hunt brothers who tried to corner the silver market in the seventies, that maybe they concocted this story to <laughs> increase demand. <laughs> but I like your story much better. I mean that 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 uh, lends some credence then to, to using uh, silver bullets. Uh, this goes back to the Loire Valley, you say? Yes, and uh, the, the case started in 1764, and uh, again with a, a rampage of a wolf, and uh, it was uh, described by people as being huge, uh, far bigger than uh, any any wolf that anyone had ever seen. It had an odd build to it that is, it looked wolf-like, but it wasn't quite 
didn't look like a normal wolf. Was it bipedal or was it all on fours? Um, it was always seen on f- uh, all fours. Um, there are more modern cases of um, the uh, the creature that goes either on two legs or four. But um, this was a, a savage um, beast and killed people by ripping them up. Their faces would, would usually be uh, ripped off, and uh, their torsos uh, also uh, just opened up as though by razor-sharp claws. And uh, after about a dozen or so people had been killed, um, you know, the, the villagers in, in the area uh, started moving out. They were scared, and they, um, you know, they appealed to uh, to the king for help. And he sent his best huntsmen into the area, and uh, they went through the countryside uh, for several months and uh, managed to kill a hundred wolves. And after they did that, they felt that well, surely we must have gotten it, and they went home. And uh, after uh, the huntsmen left. Then the the uh, wolf rampage started up again, and uh, the last killings were in 1767, and that's when this peasant uh, Jean uh, Chastel supposedly used a silver bullet in his rifle to dispatch this creature, which was described as being uh, a very unusual and abnormally large wolf. So uh, the peasants were going to pack it up and take it to uh, the royal court in Versailles to show the king, uh, but it started to decompose so badly that um, they had to dispose of it along the way. So no one knows whatever happened to it. Of course, it's easy to dispel something like that as hysteria or just, uh, you know, simple rural folk seeing something that didn't happen. But 1767, although it seems like a long time ago, that's the, you know, the age of enlightenment and, and, and so forth. So, you know, this is Ben Franklin and, and Thomas Jefferson were alive at this point. This is not, you know, this, this can't be so dismissed so easily. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, the other Hollywood depiction is that uh, the wolf, the wolf man or the werewolf is usually a uh, bipedal, it's it's uh, it's clearly a human wolf hybrid, uh, but in ancient lore, the, I mean the, the 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 werewolf was fully wolf, was it was it was it not? Um, there are depictions showing werewolves that are a combination of human and animal form, but supposedly the shape shifting uh, would be complete, and the human being would look entirely like a wolf and go about on all fours. And uh, there, there was another case in France of a boy who approached some peasant girls who were uh, tending flocks, and uh, his clothes were all ripped up, and he was quite bloodied, and he told them that he, he was uh, a werewolf, and he changed into a wolf and uh, attacked animals and people and, and ate them. And uh, they found, um, you know, mutilated uh, bodies, uh, in the vicinity that he said uh, were his handiwork. Uh, his father testified in court that um, his son was an idiot, that is, he, he was, you know, insane or mentally unfit. Rosemary, I'm going to jump in here. We'll, uh, we'll get the result of that court trial in just a moment. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, author of Werewolves and Dogmen, right here on The Conspiracy Show. This is The Conspiracy Show. With Richard Sarrett. And we are back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley has edited and compiled 
a, uh, a brand new book called Werewolves and Dogmen, and uh, featuring some articles that appeared in Fate magazine, which is uh, closing in on its 70th anniversary. Is that right, Rosemary? Um, it is. It, well, it started in uh, 1948 and uh, is uh, really the oldest magazine of its kind, publishing articles on the paranormal UFOs. It started out as primarily a UFO uh, publication in the wake of the Kenneth Arnold sightings over Mount Rainier and uh, has expanded over the years to include uh, all things mysterious and, and paranormal thousands of fabulous articles in the vaults in fate uh, written by uh, leading writers and researchers uh, many of them who are still writing for fate and uh, so uh, i'm i'm bringing them all back to light excellent so we were talking about the case of this uh, young man who claimed he was a werewolf they did find mutilated bodies and uh, uh, humans and livestock his victims uh, supposedly there was uh, this was in was this in france as well it was. Okay. And, um, he was hauled into court, and his father tried to defend him, saying that he was um, he was an idiot, which is kind of a harsh term, but it basically means, you know, it, not within his not within his right mind. It it took place in um, the early 1600s, and the boy's name was Jean Grenier, and he said that a man came up to him one day and gave him a wolf skin and uh, told him that he was a werewolf and that if he uh, put this skin on every Monday, Friday, and Sunday for about an hour at dusk, he would be transformed into uh, into a wolf. And so he said that this was true. Uh, so the court did convict him, uh, and he was sentenced to be hanged, uh, and then his body burned to ashes, which was uh, very characteristic for... Uh, evil people back then who were associated with the devil and sorcery. But um, in a review of the case, there was clemency, and uh, so he was just imprisoned because of his mental condition. But um, uh, a very a very odd case because he was bloody. There were mangled, mutilated corpses um, in out in the countryside, that he said that um, he was responsible for. Hmm. Well, if only they had, uh, I guess, DNA testing back then, we could uh, make a, a more accurate determination. Uh, the other uh, aspect of the Hollywood depiction of uh, werewolves that's always been fascinating to me is um, that you can repel werewolves uh, with sulfur. Where Do we know where that, uh, that part of the legend comes from? Um, I'm... My feeling is that this is uh, part of a fiction. It may harken back to um, early Greek lore about the three-headed dog that guards Hades, Cerberus, uh, who um, you know is associated with sulfur and also with wolfsbane. But the interesting thing I found in uh, modern cases, I have uh, several uh, cases from the 20th, century of uh, real werewolves and these uh, these creatures manifested with the smell of sulfur hmm. so sulfur was associated with their manifestation and uh, not with with repelling them well that's interesting uh, so uh, I think Hollywood has uh, created all kinds of little fictions uh, they need fictions like that to make uh, make their movies work Wolfsbane for example 
uh, as uh, an herb that repels uh, werewolves. Uh, that's more Hollywood than than uh, actual lore as well. Right. That, that the wolf's bane Man. was used uh, as sort of an antidote to a, a werewolf bite. But wolf's bane is is uh, is uh, a hallucinogen, isn't it? It is, yes, and it may very well have been one of the ingredients in some of these salves and ointments that people used centuries ago when they said they were shape-shifting. Ah, so then in their own minds, they were, in fact, a werewolf. Interesting. Uh, we are, we're coming up on another break. This is a short segment, but I'll ask you this now. We'll con- continue on in the next segment, and that is uh, in England... Um, I know that uh, a colleague of yours and a frequent guest on this program, Nick Redfern, uh, went over to uh, to England with some other researchers, and they were they were trying to hunt down these uh, elusive uh, creatures, werewolves, and so forth. Uh, and he write, he wrote about um, the, and I, I'm pretty sure you have as well. Uh, people seeing these uh, these bipedal wolf-like creatures, not as menacing as the one in in you know sort of the Lon Chaney. Uh, junior uh, movies, but uh, they were often associated with ancient uh, religious sites like Stonehenge and so forth. There is a connection. There's a very odd connection, uh, not only over in England, but in America as well, where uh, what we would call dogmen, um, as opposed to werewolves, like a, a human shape-shifting into a werewolf or a mysterious cryptid or creature that uh, exists in its own right as being composed of human and wolf or dog characteristics. And uh, they have been seen around um, like ancient burial mounds, uh, especially where most of the sightings have occurred in the Great Lakes area. All right, let me jump in here, Rosemary. We'll pick up on that on the other side. The Conspiracy Show, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. More in a moment. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down, and it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She joins us once a month on The Conspiracy Show, our paranormal researcher, investigator, the author of, uh, well, she's closing in on 70 books, and her latest uh, is... Uh, Werewolves and Dogmen, and she uh, is the editor and compiler of a number of uh, articles that uh, that come from Fate Magazine, the vaults of Fate Magazine. Uh, we were um, before the break. We were talking about the connection uh, between uh, werewolf sightings and uh, sort of religious or mystical ancient uh, sites, uh, uh, burial sites, and so forth. You, I was mentioning Stonehenge, but you said also here in in, in North America. Uh, yes, the, the creatures that we call dogmen, um, they're actually seen all, all over. And that would be, you know, a, a humanoid torso, uh, usually with a, a wolf tail, a wolf hind legs and, and feet, human-like forearms that end in uh, wolf paws, and then a wolf head with uh, a very obvious wolf snout. And um, in the Great Lakes area, Wisconsin and Michigan in particular, there have been many sightings of them. There's a famous one called the Beast of Bray Road, which um, Linda Godfrey has documented since 1991, even though sightings of it go back much earlier. In fact, the earliest sighting um, that uh, has surfaced goes back to 1936, where a dogman was seen at an old Indian burial mound 
on the grounds of what was now a Catholic convent. And so uh, the, the question then arises, Richard, is, is there an energy factor, maybe an earth energy factor um, with sacred sites, burial mounds, that is conducive to the manifestation of these creatures? Ley lines, for example, uh, why are they seen in particular spots? And I think that we, we really have to examine the earth energy uh, component of that. Uh, but the dogmen sightings seem to be more of a, of a specter, uh, not necessarily a, f- a physical entity. Is that a fair assumption? Yes and no. Some, for some people, it is of a spectral nature, and for others, it looks like a flesh-and-blood creature. Uh, and, uh, for example, there have been uh, many sightings of the Beast of Bray Road where people have seen it uh, off the side of the road, uh, or in the road or, or out in the woods. And, uh, uh, you know, admittedly, some of the sightings are fleeting. Um, some are not. And uh, for, for many people, these, uh, these creatures look very solid. And they're quite frightening, as you can imagine. Now, uh, what we don't have is, is cases of, of these creatures um, on rampages attacking people. Uh, there was a case in Wisconsin where a woman driving on a country road late at night uh, passed by one of these creatures that was bes- uh, at the side of the road and it appeared to be eating roadkill. Um, there have been individuals who've been close to these creatures and they're frightened, they're afraid of it becoming aggressive. They have the feeling that it could become aggressive, but we don't have the, the classic werewolf rampage. So it sounds like we're, are they are they at all related? Or are we talking about two separate uh, cryptids or, or entities here? I, uh, we're actually, in my opinion, talking about two separate things that have uh, a, a connection uh, that is the human and the animal component to it. So the dogmen may not be shapeshifters. They may be cryptids or unknown entities. That's maybe the way they look. And uh, they may exist in, for example, a parallel reality, an alternate reality on Earth, and, and in these highly energized zones where we have the sacred sites, the burial mounds, maybe ley line energy. Um, people can can uh, come across them in, in the same way people come across uh, Bigfoot. Uh, whereas the werewolf, uh, by technical definition, is a human being who, through some means, uh, transforms uh, temporarily into a wolf state. Have you been to Bray Road? Have you have you done a, a, an investigation, field research? I have not. Um, I've done investigations in um, Pennsylvania and Ohio, uh, where sightings have taken place. But um, I'd, I'd love to get up to Bray Road because there are so many sightings out in that uh, rural area. Uh, Wisconsin and Michigan do seem to be the capital of dogmen sightings. But um, as uh, as we've given, as we researchers have given this topic more attention, more people have been coming forward with their reports, and uh, they are scattered all uh, all over America, and I would say all over North America as well. Tell me about your your investigation in, in Pennsylvania. Did you did you have an encounter? Did you see anything unusual? I have not. I have uh, not seen 
um, a dog man um, and, you know, have mixed feelings about it. But, you know, if you're out there researching, it's always good to have an eyewitness. Uh, so it, it, uh, it's about going out to uh, the area where sightings have occurred, interviewing eyewitnesses. With a lot of these cases, uh, Richard, um, sightings are not um, regular. You know, they're irregular uh, or they're one-offs or the next sighting occurs um, maybe miles and miles away. Uh, people say, well, why don't you just go do a stakeout? It's, it's not all that easy. But um, I have uh, taken many field trips. Uh, for both Bigfoot and uh, and Dogman um, out where um, they have been sighted, um, just to see if I can also pick up some clues on the terrain in the area that might explain why these sightings took place in those locations. And, I mean, is there any any tangible evidence, even a, a, a footprint or uh, any photographic uh, evidence, audio tape, anything? Um I know that Linda has collected some uh, footprint casts uh, that are inconclusive, like a lot of them are. Uh, I have not seen any footprints myself. And uh, the footprint for a dogman would be very much like a wolf print. Um, it might appear uh, excessively large. Uh, it would not be a, a human print. They are very elusive and um, they don't seem to be interested in attacking people. Um, they seem to want to avoid people uh, more than uh, more than anything. So they may be uh, creatures of the the demi monde of planet Earth, you know, that exist in that limbo twilight zone between our reality and some other reality. Right, right. Back to werewolves for a moment. Is uh, can you share with us maybe? Is there a modern a case uh, of of a werewolf maybe closer to home in North America. We often hear about uh, cases in Europe, and, and uh, I mean, wolves were, were plentiful in Europe at one time, and, and uh, many wolf-human encounters. But what about uh, modern cases of werewolves in, in uh, the United States, for example? Well, um, there aren't any good modern cases that are uh, non-medical pathology in America and most of the modern cases uh, that I found, including the several that I put in the book, dealt with um, incorporeal uh, creatures that seemed to have the ability to attack and kill people but were associated with human beings at one time. For, for example, um, a case in um, what used to be Yugoslavia uh, where a man supposedly sold his soul to the devil and uh, was able to shape shift into wolf form, and he consumed blood, and um, was said to still reside uh, hundreds of years later in a cave, and come out and attack people who would be killed in animal-like fashion at night. And and yet, um, the the individual, the the writer who wrote the story, who rented a, a cottage in in the uh, area where this creature uh, was attacking people never saw anything, uh, felt invisible presences, something coming into the cottage, rattling his doors, uh, leaving a sulfur smell. Uh, and uh, one of his servants actually gave him a gun with a silver bullet in it <laughs> um, and, and told him that he needed that to protect himself. Um, so they, 
they are more, I would say, spirit-like or uh, uh, non-corporeal, um, um, perhaps, uh, I guess you would say, even astral in nature. That's a that's a good point. That that uh, you know these creatures may not exist in the on, on our physical plane, but on the astral uh, plane, perhaps. Uh, as do you know of any cases where people who have encountered a werewolf-like creature, uh, perhaps during a, an out-of-body experience on the astral plane? I have talked to people who. Uh, claim to have the ability to shapeshift into a werewolf form. No one has demonstrated it for me. <laughs> Lucky uh, for you. And, you know, when it, it push comes to shove, well, the argument is made that, well, um, I, I don't do it um, as, as a circus act or to entertain people. Uh, I only do it under certain circumstances. I have interviewed people like that. They claim to be able to shape, the sh- and the shapeshifting is done on the astral form. Um, some of them will say that they have uh, limited physical changes, like their hands will become more paw and claw-like, uh, their, their hands will become hairier like an animal, uh, they will acquire uh, fur-like uh, a body covering, and maybe their, uh, their face will become more elongated. But it's uh, the physical component of it, they say, is not completely into a wolf, that's done on the astral. So I've, I've never seen it demonstrated. Uh, all I have to go on is, is testimony from people. But, you know, there are magical uh, uh, rituals for shape-shifting. And if uh, shamans and skinwalkers can do it, why could not somebody else learn the means to do that? Have you, have you ever tried to uh, determine what the, uh, the ritual is, the whether it's an incantation, the ingredients in the ointment and so forth. I mean, somebody must have that knowledge uh, still uh, that's been passed down, you know, from witch doctor to witch doctor and so forth. I mean, do you, is it written down somewhere, do you think? Uh, it probably is. Uh, and there are, you know, incantations that have been uh, put out in folklore and in so-called magical um uh, textbooks from time to time. In fact, an article that I have in um, the uh, anthology, there are 32 articles in the anthology, and one of them is, So You Want to Be a Werewolf. And it's uh, it's about um, all the poisonous plants that you need to assemble, um, uh, many uh, warnings about, uh, you know, the, these are deadly toxic ingredients. And... Um, some of the uh, the incantations that are included in this article were taken from earlier works, um, such as um, oh golly, his name is um, Elliot O'Donnell's uh, book called Werewolves, in 19, uh, which was published around 1912 or so, um, and he claimed to have gotten that from earlier folklore. So uh, there is a there are some preparations and recipes here. I don't recommend that anyone try them. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. A how-to guide, how to become a werewolf. Because uh, uh, the ingredients, well, it's like hemlock, henbane, um, opium. Uh, yikes. Not to be trifled with. Listen, Rosemary, we are out of time, but uh, congratulations on uh, compiling some fascinating, amazing stories in werewolves and dogmen. And uh, always great to have you on. 
Well, thank you, Richard, and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, Visionary Living. Listen, that's it for us. My thanks to Ian Robertson, Nathan Davidson, Joel Schoenwile, uh, uh, Albert Vinzel, and uh, Ryan White. And uh, back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.